I wish I could preach like Pastor Jesse, but I've got to rely on my slides, so <laughs> that was awesome. That was really great. That was really great. I want to um, get practical with you guys uh, in this session and, and talk about how do we respond. Um, that's going to be the focus here for my few minutes, um, and I do want to be as practical as, as I can because this is real. We do have to respond uh, to this. Um, and often we have to respond in our own homes with our own kids. And so how do we do that? What are, what are some ways to do that? Before I do that, though, I just want to pick up on something that Pastor Jesse said. I think this is so important. How are we in this place today in the first place where uh, this is a, a country that has a huge church and has been deeply shaped by the Bible and yet we find ourselves now where all of our major institutions have been captured by a non-biblical ideology. How did that happen? And I want to go back to something that uh, Pastor just said, things so important, is that we've had some bad theology for about 100 years in the church that, um, that kind of have allowed us uh, to separate ourselves from society and kind of put up this wall of separation and um, you know, our faith is personal, it's private, it has to do with what happens on a Sunday, but then I go out into the secular world, so to speak, and the Bible doesn't really have anything to say about the secular world. So, for example, if I'm going to study uh, law in the secular world, I'm going to study under legal theorists and professors who probably aren't going to uh, talk about the Bible, okay, because the Bible doesn't have anything to say about law or business or whatever the subject is. And so we've kind of divided, we've allowed society in our own thinking, we've allowed ourselves to be divided in this way. And so we've kept the Bible in the church and in our own personal spiritual lives. But if we're not out there with the Bible in society, bringing it into society, somebody else is going to be shaping society on a, based on another worldview. Okay, it's always going to be shaped by some belief system. And that's exactly what's happened. And here's the problem with that, guys. <clears throat> if, we are, if we don't have the confidence in the Bible as God's word, that's not just true for me or not just true for uh, Christians or for the church, but it's true for everybody. It's public truth, if you will. It's God's truth. If we don't have confidence in that, uh, you know, then we ourselves are going to be shaped and we're going to be discipled by whatever the dominant culture is in the society. So my mentor, Darrow Miller, says it this way. He says, either the church is going to disciple the nation or the nation's going to disciple the church. It's always going to go one way or the other. And because we haven't been discipling the nation, that is, bringing the truths of the Bible. Who is God? What does it mean to be a human being? How do we know what's true? What is good? Into society, because we haven't been doing that effectively. Uh, we've been in the society, but now the society, the worldview of the society has begun to shape us and it's coming into our churches. So, okay, all that to say, we, if we're going to make headway right now, like this has got to stop, okay? We've got to come back to a few basic kind of theological um, kind of key points in terms of our relationship to the world, okay? Um, Jesus talked about this in his high priestly prayer. Um, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. 
Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I've sent them into the world. So Jesus says, I don't want you to take them out of the world. That's us. I want them in the world. I'm sending them into the world with the truth. My word is truth. Okay? But they are not to be of the world. Those are the two errors. Error number one, let's get out of the world and stay in the church and pretend that our truth is only true for us as Christians and not for the world. Okay? Error number two is to become like the world, to imitate the world. And that's what we're seeing now with this kind of syncretization that you're talking about, Jesse. So those are two errors we've got to, we've got to avoid. Rather, we have to understand the Bible as a worldview, have confidence in it. It's not personal truth. It's not just Christian truth. It's public truth. It's true for all of society. And I know that sometimes even that sounds awkward for Christians because it's like, are you saying we should impose our beliefs on other people in society? Think about it like this. There's always going to be some foundational principles shaping society. It goes like this. Excuse me, I'll skip ahead here a little bit. Look at this diagram. This is the way societies are shaped. It starts with worldviews. It starts with belief systems. And those become principles, foundational principles, and those shape policies, and those shape practices and programs and shape the entire society. So I think about the three founders of Black Lives Matter, for example. They're passionate. They are evangelistic. They have so much confidence in their belief system. They're not hiding it. They believe it's good for society. And they're actively out there pushing it into policy and into program. Okay, so, well, we've got a different belief system. And ours is, you know, has a completely different view of reality, of of salvation, of sin, of uh, freedom, of what it means to be a human being. Either theirs are going to shape society or ours are going to shape society, okay? Right now, we're not even in a fight with each other about whose ideas are going to shape the society. We're effectively off the, we're not even on the playing field right now. We're on the sidelines. And guess what? They're winning the game. Like they're just running down the field without anybody opposing them. So we need to be back in the game, understanding that somebody's ideas are going to be shaping society. And why not God's? Because his are true and they're good. They're going to lead to flourishing societies because they're true. So there's those three again. Let me skip up ahead here. I want to talk about, uh, this is where it gets kind of practical for us, but I think one of the things that helps me a lot is in my response to critical theory in society, it's helpful to understand tactics. They play, they use certain tactics. Knowing these tactics then helps you to know how to respond. And I want to just touch on each one of these briefly. Uh, tactic number one is they're going to use, they're going to weaponize language. They're going to redefine words and language, okay? So that when they say you're a racist, it's not even very helpful because we have to understand what do they mean by racism? What do they mean by equality? Um, they mean something very different than what we might mean, okay? The Bible has a lot to say about equality, right? Um, we are all equal in the sense that we all are created by God. We have equal dignity, we have equal value. 
We're equally sinners, right? As somebody said earlier, and God loves us equally, right? The gospel is available to all people. And when we come to judgment day, we're going to be all judged impartially and equally based on God's law, okay? So the Bible has a, is a great book of equality. But what they mean by equality isn't any of that. They mean equality of outcome, social engineering, rigging the system so that everyone has the same outcome regardless of whether they've committed crimes or how much schoolwork they've done. or <laughs> So they, it's a very different concept. Knowing that they redefine words helps us because then we have to go, oh, it's important that we defend true definitions. There are true definitions of words. We are not postmodernists who believe that words can just be whatever we want them to be. We went through this whole thing with marriage a few years ago, right? There was a big push to redefine marriage from a lifelong union of a man and a woman for the purpose of raising children, godly offspring, to a union between any two people. And now they're even talking about getting rid of the word too, right? So we're in the process of literally redefining. Now you can go to the dictionary, literally open up the dictionary, and you'll see new definitions. So we've kind of lost that battle. The biblical definition of marriage isn't just for the church. God defined marriage for everybody, okay? So we've got to have the confidence. This is true marriage. There's true definitions. There's true justice. There's true freedom. There's true equality. There's true marriage. We've got to know those. Do we know those true definitions from the word? And are we championing those? Uh, I'm going to, yeah, just go through. I'm gonna, let me just read these and then I'll unpack them a little bit. The, uh, they love to conf- just so lies, okay? There's no basis for truth. They don't believe there's objective truth. There is no God. There is no truth. So, you know, there's no problem morally with lying. Lying is just a tactic to get, you know, to get the end that you desire. So lies are just constantly being sown. Um, So we have to confront the lies and we have to sow the truth. Uh, Another tactic, we know this. They want to sow, sow, sow social discord and hatred. They want us to be fighting one another. And you especially see this in race relations. They want us at each other's throats. Uh, okay, so we have to fight against that. Like, no, you're not going to, I'm not going to allow you to divide us. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're all one race, okay? Uh, we need to fight for unity. Uh, they want us to, they want to establish and reinforce the dominant narrative. This is the way it is, okay? So we can't just meekly accept that. We have to kind of begin to question the narrative. I'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, they want to destroy the family. The family is the foundation of a healthy society. So they want to destroy the family. Well, how do we respond to that? Let's strengthen our families right now. Okay, let's do what we can to have as strong a families as we can and help other families to be strong as well. They want to marginalize and weaken the church. We need to strengthen the church. We need the church to be strong now more than ever. They want to capture the minds of our children. They're working very hard at this through public education and curriculum. Um, This is a key tactic, this key foundational tactic, is capture the minds of the next generation. Uh, Way too long the church has gone along with this and just said, you know, 
it's the state's job to educate my children, right? Um, I'm a product of the public education system. I've gone through that. Um, okay, we don't have the luxury of just saying it's somebody else's job to, to teach my children now, okay? We have to take back that responsibility, and we have to teach our children. Uh, lastly, they use fear, intimidation, coercion, silencing. It's, very, it's a very much an intimidation kind of a strategy. They want you silent. So uh, we really have to stand against that with courage and authenticity. Let's just talk a little bit about each one of these. Uh, again, I want to be careful with my time, Pastor um, Scott. What do we? Because uh, yeah, I can be done fifteen minutes. You know, I mean, yeah, okay, yeah. I like this quote from Rod Dreher a lot. He says, we cannot be the church. We can't be God's people if we lose our vocabulary and the conceptual framework that makes us Christians. If we lose biblical definitions, we, lose, we will no longer be the church. It's that serious. We've got to understand that words are powerful. If you want to change a society, if you want to change a culture, you always begin by changing language, always. And if we want the society to move back in the direction of truth and goodness, we have to recover biblical definitions. And we can't just allow ourselves to be kind of rolled over with these new definitions. Let's just look at one word, justice. This is kind of what the Bible is going to teach us about the word justice. Justice has to do with being aligned to or conforming to God's moral standard. As revealed in the Ten Commandments or in the New Testament the royal law, love your neighbor as yourself. This is kind of justice boiled down to its essence. And then there's the whole aspect of criminal justice or upholding the law, right? And God is going to uphold his law perfectly, but then he gives human authorities a task of upholding righteousness and the law, parents in the home, teachers in the school, elders in the church, civil authorities in the state, right? They're going to uphold justice, okay? But that justice has to be based on God's moral law for it to be truly just, okay? So that's biblical justice. Here's how it's been redefined. This is the one I shared with you earlier, the tearing down of traditional systems and structures that are deemed to be oppressive and redistributing power from oppressors to victims in the pursuit of equality of outcome. That's now how people understand justice. I just want you to understand, look at how different those are. Just take a quick look. What's missing from the second one? God, right? <laughs> God's gone. There's no standard, moral standard of right and wrong here, okay? So it's a very different concept. Same word. And that's why it's confusing for our young Christians who want to stand for social justice. You know, when they say, I want to stand for social justice, I say, great, great. Justice is so important. What do you mean by justice, right? <laughs> we've got to understand what, uh, you know, we've got very different definitions here, and we've got to defend the true definition. Here's a bunch of lies that are being sewn into the culture, right? America is defined by pervasive, systemic, structural racism. Yes, we have a legacy of slavery and racism in this country. It's a stain on our country. Um, we have to bear that stain. Is America defined to this day by racism, systemic racism? No, it doesn't define us. 
The male-female binary is a cultural construct. It's not a biological reality. It's a lie. There is no objective truth. Humans are socially constructed. They're defined by the groups that they belong to. They're defined. No. As Christians, we say we're influenced. We're deeply shaped by the groups we belong to. Yes. We're defined by God. Okay? He defines us. He says, you're my creation in my image. Okay? That's who we are. And that's true for all of us. Male, female, rich, poor, don't care what color of your skin is. So that's, that's the fundamental of what it means to be human. So everything can be explained in terms of power dynamics. This quest for power lurks behind every human interaction. Again, there's certainly a grain of truth to that, right? Uh, yeah, right? There are people that are going to leverage and use power to lord it over other people. Okay, so we can agree with that in the Bible. But can everything be explained in terms of power dynamics? Absolutely not. There is love. (laughs) There is redemption. There is mercy. There is forgiveness. And those things have nothing to do with whether you win or I win in some kind of struggle for power. Okay? Uh, The Western prescribed nuclear family is a source of oppression. That is a lie. It's a source of incredible strength and goodness. Here's another one. Police have declared open season on young black men. They're the number one threat to young black men in the country. That is not true. That's a lie. It's been sown into the black community, and it's been believed for the purpose of creating this hatred and distrust. So what do we do with all these lies? How do we respond? Francis Schaeffer said, well, truth, to stand for truth, demands confrontation. It has to be a loving confrontation, but it has to be confrontation nonetheless. And this is where we can't be that silent 12,000. Okay, we've got to, conf- when, when you see, hear a lie, and you know it's a lie, you have to confront it. You have to expose it. I love this quote by Alexander Solzhenitsyn, the great Russian dissident. And he lived at a time where lies were just coming into Russia Uh, full force but he said this let your credo and I love this your credo this let this be your life motto and I want to challenge you guys to make this your motto today let the lie come into the country into the world let it even triumph but not through me okay not through me I'm not gonna I am not gonna be part of that by being silent or being coerced or being silent I'm going to stand for what's true, and I'm going to speak it. And when I do that, somebody else will get the courage to do that, and then somebody else will get the courage to do that. That's how we got to turn this around. I'm not a brave person. I am not. But when I saw people standing up against the lies that are coming into the culture right now, I got courage. That's the way it works. So let's be people that don't allow these lies to come through us. I love this diagram. This, uh, these three trees represent three different cultures or societies. God's called the church to be a blessing to the nations, right? God says to Abraham, I will you know, bless you, I will bless your family, and through you, through your offspring, and that includes each one of us, you will be a blessing and all the nations on earth will be blessed through you. We're to be a blessing to the nations,
We're to help build free, flourishing nations. But those nations are, they're in a soil. The soil is the dominant worldview of that society. And the more lies there are in that soil, the, the weaker that tree is going to be. It'll eventually die. The more truth there is, that tree's going to thrive and flourish. Okay? So whose job is it to be in there cultivating? And again, the, the, cultivating the soil, the root word culture is cultivate. That's our job. We're to be cultivating that soil with the truth, sowing it in there, okay? And that's not just the job of pastors, okay? The pastors are equippers, but that's our job, okay? Where's God put you to be sowing truth in a family, in a business? Where are you? And I do think it's important. These are challenging times, really challenging but I often remind my kids and others, you know, God's called us to this time, okay? He could have put us anywhere at any time, but he chose us for this time. Uh, that encourages me, right? That means he thinks that each one of us in this room can do something. He's got a plan for us to do something in this time. <clears throat> so social division and discord. Gosh, we're seeing that, and it breaks my heart right now. It really does. Uh, this country has a, a legacy not only of slavery, but also of incredible racial harmony. Uh, we need to build on that legacy, okay? Uh, we, we are not at each other's throats. And I want to just recommend one ministry in particular in this regard. Um, this is uh, the Center for Biblical Unity. And Monique Dusan is going to be here this week, okay, in your fair city. Uh, speaking at um, Grove City College. And I really recommend that you go and listen to her. Her whole thrust is this thrust. They're trying to divide us racially. I'm going to fight back against that by fighting for biblical unity. The Bible is a book of unity. It shows how diverse people become one, especially in the church. Okay? And she goes through that verse by verse by verse. Um, and she brings us together, one race, one people, one savior. Uh, she's got a curriculum uh, that I really would recommend that you uh, take a look at for a small group. It's, it's really powerful. What makes Monique a unique voice, she's from California as well, is that she, uh, and she's a graduate of Biola University where my daughter went, but she was woke, and she not only was woke, she was out there teaching it. She was a big-time advocate for it. And then she uh, was essentially converted. So she's got a powerful testimony in her own life. She grew up in south-central Los Angeles. It was all that she ever knew growing up. And she tells about how she came out of that. So I recommend her and her ministry to you. Narratives. Post, in postmodernism, narratives thrive. This is not Postmodernism is not a, uh, a worldview that believes in objective truth. It's all spin, it's all lies, and it's all shaping reality uh, into stories that fit, that further whatever agenda I have. And so you see this, for example, in the media right now. It's become so postmodern in the sense that it's not interested in what actually happened. Okay? That, would be a, that would be a truth commitment. What actually happened? Uh, but rather, it's how do we further whatever narrative the dominant group wants to further for their own purposes. That's very postmodern. 
So we can't be caught up in that. We have to ask who's behind the narrative? Who created it? Why? How do they want me to feel? Lever narratives are always leveraging feelings. Not, they, don't, they don't want us to be thinking, arguing, debating with our heads. They want us to be feeling. They leverage emotions. How do they want us to feel? Why are they trying to get me to feel that way? The emotions are powerful. What facts and evidence are being ignored? Narratives are almost always based on some truth, right? Some piece of truth. But they're ignoring a whole lot <laughs> of other pieces of evidence, other truth. What are, they getting, what are they ignoring? Okay, these are questions we have to ask. What's their agenda? What do they want to accomplish with that narrative? And then lastly, uh, let's really be people that go out and seek multiple perspectives and uh, say, gosh, who else is saying something and what, how can I learn from them? So question narratives. Strengthen your family. Now more than ever, guys, one of the ways that critical theory has gained such traction in the United States is because the families become so weak. And when we're weak, we're divided and uh, we're easy prey. So we've got to do all that we can right now to be strengthening our families and other families as well. Again, I mentioned teaching your children. Uh, I, I can't underscore this one enough, okay? We've lost too many of our young people. So we've got to not only teach our own children, but one of the things that encourages me right now is that since I wrote my book a few years ago, there's been a huge upswell against critical theory and specifically critical race theory in the culture. And you know where it's at? It's in schools with moms. Yeah. And that kind of took me by surprise. That didn't happen three years ago, but there's a true movement right now of moms saying, you're not going to teach this to my children. And you know what's so encouraging is it's not just white moms. There's a lot of black and brown moms saying, you will not tell my child that they're a victim and that they can't get ahead. Okay, so there's a real upswell in the schools right now. That needs our support. There's many ways you can support that movement. Here's one way, momsforliberty.org. There, this is grassroots organizing that's happening, but it's making a huge difference. It's taking back school boards. It's taking back curriculum. Yes, it's just beginning. And no, it's not all Christians. One of the things that I think is fascinating about the reaction to critical theory is that the leaders often in the pushback are not Christians. <laughs> They're non-Christians. But they believe in, whether they say so or not, they believe in the values of Christianity, things like freedom, free speech, liberty. They want kind of Martin Luther King's vision for America, right? All of these, well, that, we need to get ahead of that and get out there on the front lines ourselves. Strengthen your church. We need the church now more than ever. I think during COVID, we saw such a, an intentional effort to, to weaken the church. Um, and so many pastors and churches went along with this, right? You will not meet. You'll keep your doors shut. Um, okay, that's what they want. They want the church to be weakened. So we have to be really careful right now to be obedient to our head and strengthen the church. Uh, be in, in your churches. Be a part of what's going on. Help each other. <clears throat> and then I'll just end with this. Fear, intimidation, silencing, and coercion. This is happening 
uh, it still stuns me, frankly, how much I'm, I'm seeing this, we're seeing this in the society. I remember after the last election when all of a sudden all these people got kicked off of social media. It was, it was kind of stunning to me, like whole accounts got shut down. And that hasn't slowed down, this whole effort to silence whole blocks of people. I never thought I'd see it in our country. Peer pressure, censorship, uh, social ostracism, uh, this whole thing of cancel culture. Uh, I want to point to you uh, a lesson from Vaclav Havel, another Russian dissident. Uh, we have a lot to learn from the people who lived in the Eastern Bloc because they actually fought Marxism in our lifetime, okay? <laughs> so we need to listen. to They have great lessons for us. Uh, Vaclav Havel was a Czech prime minister and a dissident, and he talked about this concept of living in the truth. And he told this story of a green grocer during the days of Marxism. And in those days, uh, the, the Marxist power structure required small businesses to put signs in their window, right? And the sign said, workers of the world unite, right? And you weren't going to be bothered if you had that sign in your window. If you took the sign down, you were going to get it, right? They're going to come down hard on you, okay? We had something like that happen after George Floyd. Do you remember that? Very similar. It was the BLM icon. You had to post that on your social media. I was, I was stunned by how much pressure there was. Everyone was telling everyone, make sure, right, you put this, post this, post this. And then it was like if you didn't, you really stood out. And you were going to be called a racist, right? How can you not do that? Uh, that, that was an incredible pressure campaign. Very powerful tactic to get you, whether you believed it or not, but to get you to signal your support for this ideology. Okay, that's what it was all about. So back to this story. Vaclav Havel tells about this green grocer who one day says, I don't, believe, I don't believe what this sign represents. Workers of the world unite. There's a whole ideology behind that that I just simply do not believe. And yet I'm perpetuating a lie because of fear. And I'm keeping that sign in the window. So one day he wakes up and he says, no more. And he takes the sign down. And he does a personal revolt. This is what Havel says. In this revolt, the green grocer steps out of living within the lie. He rejects the ritual. He breaks the rules of the game. He discovers once more his suppressed identity and his dignity. He gives his freedom a concrete significance. His revolt is an attempt to live in the truth. So we've got to really have that same conviction, guys. We aren't going to be pressured or coerced to, to perpetuate lies by posting things on social media or putting up signs or wearing, whatever. Okay, we're going to stand for the truth, okay? And that's going to cost us. This, this green grocer probably lost his business. But what did he gain? What did he gain? His dignity, his humanity. What do you want? What's most important to you? Honoring God, regaining your humanity, your dignity, or not getting bothered by the powerful people that want you to want to coerce and silence you. We have to recover a theology of suffering. You know, the Bible talks about suffering as something we should expect in a fallen world. Don't be surprised. And furthermore, don't think just negatively about suffering. 
The Bible actually talks so positively in many places about it. Here's a couple of examples. Jesus himself, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you. Blessed. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. Wow. Uh, Acts 5.41, the the Sanhedrin called the apostles and had them flogged. And then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus. Right? Silencing. Here we go. (laughs) Cancel culture. Don't speak and release them. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing that they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. We've never lived through that in my lifetime in the United States. Never. And I'm not saying, oh, let's go look for an opportunity to suffer, right? That this martyr idea is not right either. But we have to understand what the Bible teaches. Don't be be surprised and don't be afraid. Okay, so that's important for us right now. We need to be engaging right in our own homes with our family members, our friends, and our fellow Christians who are dabbling in or caught up with this. We need to have discussions. Let's talk together. Let's read books together and have discussions. But how do we do that? I love what 2 Timothy 2, 25 through 26 says about this. Opponents must be gently instructed, okay, in the hope that God will grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth and that they will come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil. Okay, this needs to be our attitude. It's, it's we treat them with love and with gentleness, understanding that the devil himself is behind this and he's got his claws into them and we want them to be set free. I think at the end of the day, we have to recognize this is a spiritual battle. It's not a battle against Marx or Darwin or uh, Foucault uh, or Ibram X. Kendi or, or the Democratic Party or whatever. It's not. It's a battle against the, uh, the enemy, the evil one, okay? And Jesus tells us how we do it. You know, he says we need to be engaging in spiritual battle. But you do it in spiritual ways, right? You love your enemy, You pray for those who persecute you. You respond with gentleness to an opponent, okay? Uh, You you use the word of God, right? That's the sword. The truth is the sword. So we have instructions on how, very clear instructions on how we engage in spiritual warfare. We need to take those seriously right now. And then publicly engaging. We can't just engage... Uh, at a private level, we've got to be involved publicly. We've got to speak out publicly. And this is where it takes guts in your place of work. Maybe you guys are in a place where they're going to do the uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion training. You've got to attend. You know, it's required. You've got to go through this DEI training. DEI training is just, it's just mandatory wokeness training. Okay, that's what it is. You might need to say, uh, no, I respectfully decline to go through that training. But when you engage publicly like that, here's a couple of things I want you to keep in mind. Let me, I've got some notes on this one I want to read through. Um, when you do that, first of all, I think that one of the most important things here is, if possible, whenever possible, do it with others. Okay, when you're doing public engagement, uh, doing it alone isn't going to be very effective. But doing it even with one or two other people is going to help. This is an actual picture of concerned mothers at a school board meeting. 
Notice, they're, they're there, right? They're present, and they're raising their concerns, but they're doing it together, okay? So work together. Uh, when you see something in the, in the school, in the workplace, wherever you see it, uh, don't, okay, we've got to be able to speak, okay? Speaking is so important right now. Uh, Bonhoeffer talks about, uh, in his book, uh, the spiral of silence that affected the church in Germany in the 1930s, right? They're using power and coercion against us in order to silence us, to keep us from speaking out. Because if we don't speak, they win. Uh, the more that we give into that, the, pr- the higher the price for speech goes, so to speak, right? The more price you're going to have to pay for that speech. And it's this downward spiral, so that's what they want. They want that downward spiral of silence. So we've got to, it can work in the opposite direction, though. If we speak together with one another, that gives courage to other people to speak up as well. So now is the time, especially in public, not to be silent on these things. But as we have opportunity, and I don't know what opportunities you have, but to speak out. Not to do it in a way that is demeaning or rude in any way with gentleness, with respect. But gosh, we cannot be silent right now. So uh, I'm going to wrap it up with that. Um, th- we'll have some time for Q&A, but it sure has been an honor to be with you guys today. Thanks again for coming. Yeah, Very helpful, isn't it? Yes, yes. Well, I see we're at 2.30, so let's take uh, a brief break, and I'm sure after lunch you're ready to use the restroom here. So <laughs> so uh, let's, let's uh, break here for roughly 10 minutes, and then we'll come back, and uh, we'll um, let Jesse say what he might want to say since that didn't happen in this segment. And we'll also take some of your questions. For those of you who are online, you can – yes? Yeah. Okay. Well, we uh, uh, for those of you who are online, if you would like for us to answer a question, please use the email on the website, and we'll take a look at that and um, try to answer some of those questions as well. So let's uh, just take a few moments here to to stretch and relax. <laughs>